Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. So I had that, that article I sent you about employee as a service, and I, I couldn't remember if we had discussed this before. Someone had sent a, a table um, around on WhatsApp, I think, where it was employee as a service, and this was a couple um, couple months ago now. And I just want to find it quickly because I thought it was such a brilliant – oh, here we go, I found it. It was such a brilliant thing where – and bear in mind, this was a this is a, you know sea level guy, and uh, he had had basically written up that you get if you employ me, there's three options: there's a basic option, a standard option, and a premium option. And there's a different monthly cost for each one. There's different hours per per month that they'll allocate based on on those packages. Um, there was a number of emails that they would read and get engaged in. Per, per package um, and then depending on whether it was basic standard or premium they would give their personal contact number so if it was basic there's no personal contact number if it's standard they'll do one hour a day on their personal number and if it's premium they'll do like three hours a day and then production support was not included in basic but in standard and premium you could get production support and um, it was quite a cool like, you know, a lot of people in the group thought it was really clever. Um, and then I saw this article saying that every employee is a service now, a service provider now. And that's a big mind shift for companies where, you know, it's an, it's traditionally been a linear relationship where people are told what to do, they do their job, they work like a factory. And, um, you know, it's been, kind, it's been very inflexible if you think about it. To now, if you treat every employee as a service provider, you know, an individual, an independent contributor, um, you got to you got to think differently about how they work because now it's not necessarily a mandated nine to five. It's it's results orientated, and the accountability is now with them to deliver without you necessarily telling them what to do to to the the minute level. But more giving them goals and objectives strategically, and they've got to do the tactical stuff themselves. Mm-hmm. So, when it comes to those basic, standard, and premium packages of yourself, was it based on what would um, differentiate the tiers? Was it like salary? Was it um, salary plus or what? Was there that kind of level to it? Yeah. So, yes. So I can't remember the exact figures they had, but, uh, you know, it was like basic, it was like a thousand bucks a month. Uh, standard was like 1500 bucks and premium was like 3000 bucks, let's say. And then basic was eight hours per month. Standard was 16 hours per month and premium was 40 hours per month. And then these different things, like your willingness to do things, like emails per week that you that you deal with, 400, 600, unlimited, um, depending on the package, whether you'd give your personal contact number or not. You know, these things were all part of the service agreement that you're signing up 
as a service provider, not so much as an employee anymore. Now, I know obviously that's it's a very simplistic view because an employee has certain rights and, and all the rest of it. But if you think about how things have changed because you're no longer mandated necessarily in your company, of course, to work nine to five. I mean, some companies have, have predefined core hours. Um, but if you work like I do in a, in a, in a multi-geographic company with time zones from Australia all the way across to, to the West Coast of America, um, sometimes you've got to work outside of your core hours of nine to five or nine to six or whatever the, whatever they are. So you have a little bit more flexibility in being available to whoever you need to be available to, but then also getting that time back to do what you should have done in those times. So if I'm up at 5 a.m. and I'm doing a call with Australia for two hours, then I might go five to seven as those two hours and seven to nine might be kids to the school, go to gym, whatever, or maybe, you know, eight till 10, I might do that. And then eight till from ten till twelve would be working again um, to get the UK people going or, or deal with UK things. Uh, take a break from twelve till two, and then the US comes online. So now I'm doing calls and stuff with the US people till till five or six or whatever it is, and or even later depending on what's going on. That's that's stretching, you know, what, what's acceptable work patterns. Um, but if you treat someone like a service provider and they set the boundaries to that, say, well, I'm happy to do this, but, you know, I don't commit to a nine to five working day. I commit to being available as required and all the rest of it. You've got to trust people a lot more to be on, on the tactical things, uh, and empower them, uh, as opposed to, you know, micromanage them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's probably a, a fine distinction between, the employee is a service provider model and everyone is just a contractor kind of a way of thinking because I think employee as a service could still support a company culture. It could be a more respectful, um, equitable um, type of, I can't remember if they call it the kind of more of like a, a mesh, like a network kind of model where it's, you know, you prioritize relationships and results and it's less top down. Um, but when I think about, you know, contractors, it is very individual, right? So there's less of a a sense of, um, you know, we're doing something, building something together and more just, you know, you are, you know, I'm giving you my time for a fee kind of a, an approach. I think there's, when it comes to like culture or um, being part of a team. Um, yeah, I, I think it can still work under this employee as a service model, but it is much more individualistic than kind of thinking about, you know, loyal. I think this idea of um, loyalty to a company and, not having as many job options has been what's kind of kept the more traditional model in place for so long. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what this article was going on about is more the mindset difference as opposed to the practical and legal differences. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, having 
having your staff, like if they're in the office and you give a person a one-hour lunch break, then you almost control when they go to lunch and when they come back from lunch. Whereas in the sort of new mindset, unless there's a meeting, if someone goes out for lunch and you know, let's say, you know, I'll give, I mean, I'll use myself as an example because that's, that's the easy one. So, so I'll take, I'll go to, I'll go to lunch with my wife because we both work from home and we are for lunch and, and yes, we've both got an hour, but neither one of us has uh, a meeting straight after. So we go do the grocery shop quickly. So no one's, no one's mandated that we have to be back after one hour because we, we control our diaries and we know what our, what our, what our requirements are to get work done. And we, we've, do a bit of integrated working in the sense that we we put in uh, we do a household thing quickly, um, and and that's the difference is we're now empowered more. I mean, you can work in organisations where you're empowered from the get go, but you know there's, there's the old companies that require you to be almost at your desk all the time to be working, otherwise you're not working. That sort of mentality. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Just going back to the um, uh, some of the thoughts in that article, but um, I suppose are there? Do you think this can work for every role? You know, maybe restricted to knowledge workers. Uh, look, I think it's going to be a horses for courses thing. Um, but if you think about in, in the case of a knowledge worker, it would typically be someone that's going to be working in, in their technology frame. Um, sorry, that doesn't make sense. Not their technology frame. Um, but they're going to be working with, with line of business systems. They're going to be working with information and data through those systems. They're going to have to collaborate a lot. Um, so like we're doing now, um, or on, you know, if it's not a, not a video call, it'll be a phone call, email instant messenger, all those sorts of things. Um, I'd say 85% of the time, they could do that from anywhere. They don't have to be at, a, at, at an office centrally per se. I'd say 15% of the time, they probably would need to be in an office to talk to someone face-to-face -face or see something, inspect something, et cetera. And if you look at what Elon Musk did a couple of weeks ago, he mandated that everyone had to be in, a proper, in their, their core offices um, and they have to be on the factory floor. And that kind of goes into the other kind of um, environment where there is a need to be physically present to look at things because a camera is not going to necessarily be good enough to see the whole picture. Because if you think about what a camera will give you, it's a focused field of view. Um, it would be awesome if the cameras existed cheaply and, and fast enough that they could generate the big picture for you so you could see it in an AR or VR world. But I think we're a little bit away from that one. So if you think about the first scenario and the second scenario, then you have the third scenario, which is the field. So the field would be a, a, um, a salesperson that's driving around doing you know, like a rep, uh, a service technician that's driving around doing repairs or whatever it is, um, or something like that. Um, some, and even a delivery driver. Um, if you look at those different roles in the same field, um, excuse the pun, they all have a specific set of parameters to meet. Uh, a 
service technician will have a certain amount of calls to do in a day. A delivery person will have a certain amount of deliveries to do in a day. Um, and, and similar for, for the other sort of sales rep, they'll have a certain amount of customers to see in a day. Um, now, if, if a, I remember talking to one service technician guy who said to me, he has to do something like 12 calls a day. And if he doesn't do 12 calls a day on average, he gets into, he gets, a, he gets docked. Not necessarily salary, but he gets it's, it's negative on his profile, and then affects his his uh, overtime and all that kind of stuff. Um, and those those will be company specific. Um, but I think in, in 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 a lot of respects, those are normally uh, independent contractors anyway. Um, so they are a service provider. So if if those guys wanted, to, you know, let's say they they don't sign up to the twelve calls a day, but they say that they are a service provider to be called out to do calls. And one call takes longer than the 25 minutes that they have budgeted for. Uh, that's their choice to go longer. And then that charge will go to the customer because the customer signed up for it. So it can get very complicated. Um, but I think each one of those can benefit from the use of technology to streamline and make more productive. But also, um, provided there's connectivity, Connectivity is probably the biggest problem with with all of this. Um, if if they've got the tools, they could do their jobs anywhere and any, and, and and deliver the result, uh, and also control sort of their their next steps, their results. Because if you start taking, let's say, you're a service technician who's doing a job that's that's gone beyond the twenty five minutes, um, it should automatically start taking away the system should take take away your your calls at the end of the day. And reallocate them as they push out. If if you follow my to another technician, um, that would be the the smart thing to do. I think. Um, I don't know what you think of that. Mm. No, it's 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 interesting thoughts. I think. Um, Yeah, I think I just come back to maybe Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know if I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Um Look, it's I such a new it, space. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's the point mm -hmm. is, is is all these old all these old ways of working and, and they are very old, they're archaic. I mean we're talking you know, hundred years ago, if you think about it, so where some of the stuff came from. I mean, sometimes a little bit more because there was no real understanding of you know. If you think about it from this, from, I mean, like really dial it back, go back to the start of America. That's three hundred years ago. Everyone was an individual contributor in a very small place. You'd have a store a storekeeper. You'd have a um a hunter uh, or whatever um i'm trying to think of a small village but if if everyone was a trader in some respects because i mean money existed but your 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 everything was always so localized um there was no you know what what happened on the east coast of america would be would be potentially different to what happened on the west coast of america slightly even though you're on the same country now if you look at europe to to europe uh, or europe to the uk that would be a little bit closer, but still there would be there would be nuances. I mean, if you look at how clothing became a fashion 
how clothing moved from just being a practical thing to becoming a fashion, it's because the French did something to change the market. They actually put in place taxes and, and tariffs to make their stuff more expensive and make it and, and create demand for it, which which proliferated through the rest of um, the, the European space. Now, even through all of that, factory working wasn't really factory working. It was a case of people that had built their own you know, ways to make things better. They came up with ways to do that. Only after they started building um, the textile factories and those sorts of things, where they started doing shift work, and that was driven by, um, I can't think what his name is now, who started measuring people's work, uh, work throughput and um, that sort of thing. Uh, they they um, started to formalize factory working, which fed into you know, the manufacture of you know, uh, vehicles and all that stuff. So, I mean, Henry Ford and, and those guys really revolutionized it because they actually started measuring to improve the delivery of vehicles. Uh, as one example, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's others, but that, that structure led to other structures. So for example, school kids going to school, that was actually a concept after factories came into play because what were these kids doing? They were, you know, they were running around unless their parents were looking after them and they were working because there was actually no protection on kids working. There was, there was no, no kids' rights. So they, at some point, someone realized that there needed to be a need for schooling, and I can't remember who that was. And then they brought in the factory mechanism to do schooling. That's why schools run the way they do in the sense of um, it's a set period of time, start and end. It's, uh, it's got a, set, a, a very structured approach to, to time allocation uh, with breaks, et cetera. But it's, it's not necessarily designed uh, um, now, now there's a lot more arguing about it, but you know, for a long time, the factory mindset for schooling was the same thing, and you were preparing everyone to go into the factory. Uh, now, I think that's completely shifted. Um, where, if you look at some of, and you look at some of the education systems, Montessori is one of them, and and I think the other one as we looked at, um, it's a lot more based on free play, exploration, um, trial and error. That sort of thing, because that's the other thing. These these factory mindsets are all about not making mistakes, because if you make a mistake on the assembly line, you can bring the assembly line down, uh, and that costs money. So, you know, it, it locks us into things, and now I think we're, we're we're reversing that whole thing, and that's confused everything because no one knows where to go, and there's there's always a, there's always a um, uh, a prevalence to go back to what you're comfortable with, which is the old way, because everyone was comfortable with well. You get in the office at nine, you leave at five, and you know we're comfortable with that. But now if we go to the other route, is well, you know, Heather, you and I are working on something. You know, I, you know, I've discussed what you need to do. How you get there, I, I don't really care per se, as long as you don't miss the deadline that we agreed to. If, if we said we must have it done by the end of Thursday, you know, it must be done by the end of Thursday. If you decide to go on holiday from Monday to Monday to Wednesday. And only start working it on, on Thursday, and the thing needed four days to get done, but you deliver something at the end of Thursday, which only had one day of effort, and it was a shit output. Um, that's what you've got to stand by, because you made that decision as the, this contributor to deliver something or, or, or um, the person that took on the responsibility. So I think that's what, what this article is trying to get to, is that we're, we're shifting everything completely. I think it's more fundamental than people have realized. Mm. Um 
and and I think that's what's what's interesting about it. Yeah, I think um, you know the ways that flexible work styles will continue to um, evolve, I suppose, and and need new ways to be measured and um, you know, as we've discussed many times, the um, you know holding people to outputs rather than you know hours and and presenteeism and and all of that. I guess I still come back to you know if everyone's independent, what does a company culture look like? What do like you know some of the other kind of embedded aspects of an organization become if if people are more individualistic and it's not necessarily thinking about it from a negative standpoint it's just i think it will inherently um change as people have more autonomy i suppose there's yeah, less uh, uniformity uh, so there's not like uh, those yeah yeah, well, that, and that's that's what makes us so tricky because now now the, the the difference between synchronous work and asynchronous work comes in, and and the trust. So so letting people work in the time that allows them to do their best work versus having common shared experiences with the team to build to build that energy and that creativity and and all those sorts of things. And I mean, we can, yeah, unfortunately, I've got to run because I'm now late for another thing, but. Yeah, this this is what the, this is what the crux of the problem is: is trying to balance the freedom to let people do their best work, and to let them be adults to decide, and the cohesiveness of an organisation that works together towards the same goal. And some of those things that you'd have to do for the second part require as people to be connected, working together at the same time, maybe in the same place, or at the very least on the same system synchronously. Uh, and I think that's what organizations are struggling with i mean i sat with 16 cios two weeks ago and every single one of them said that they don't have an answer to the problem but yet but they all confirmed that they had the same problem uh, or the same problems and that and, and and they're struggling with their own businesses on agreeing on how to take it forward um and there's various techniques and various things that are working but they haven't solved it yeah it's a big conundrum. Well, I will uh, let you go to your next. The, the fun of the fun of back-to-back meetings enabled by technology. Yep. <laughs> so fun. Thanks for that. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.